good morning, Jason. I got a question for you. Yeah, sure. Give me your happiest memory. Ooh, so I was high school senior. We were in Myrtle Beach together. No, 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 no. Not we. You, your happiest memory. Can you think of a time yeah, yeah, yeah. with your happiest memory when you were all alone? Um, no, I, I can't think of yeah, a kind happiest time when I was alone. Kind of the point for today's episode. Interesting. It's better when we're together. I'm Jason McCoy, your host, alongside Dawson Boyer, my co-host, trusted friend, confidant, and bird watcher. What? I'm afraid of birds. Today on the show, we'll be talking about The Good Life, Episode part two, two, yeah. in what will surely be a informative, witty, and hopefully Not on this show. insightful show. Not on this show. Nelson. What's up, buddy? We spent a lot of time last week talking about religion. We've had some pretty good reviews. People left some comments, some questions, some likes. Yeah, like what? Um, They think our conversation was so important. Well, you know, I think that's because we need each other. Mm. <laughs> I guess that means we are family. In a way. Yeah. Well, and that's what religion says sometimes, right? It's that Love we are a family. Love thy neighbor. Love thy neighbor. Speaking of neighbors, we got one coming up later in the show. A gentleman in my neighborhood, well, at least my extended neighborhood, who's been manning a vegetable stand for several years now. Have you ever knocked on a neighbor's door and asked for sugar or anything? No, but I have sent a request via text for neighbors. I was going to ask you something similar. Do you know... All of your neighbors. I don't. We don't have one of those neighborhoods, Man, unfortunately. That is unfortunate because you know what? I want to emphasize the power of the neighbor and neighborhood today. My community, I have to brag on it for a second, but we are thriving, my man. And I feel as if I could knock on any single neighbor's door. First of all, I know who they are. My kids know them. They know my kids. And secondly, we spend a lot of time together. We have block parties. We have barbecues. Because you're invited to a barbecue to start at four. We have pool hops. The temperature's about 88. Hopping the water plug just for old time's sake. I mean, this is a tremendously thriving neighborhood. Well, I think it sort of, you know, is the point. I mean, it's, this is one area where psychology and history agree completely. Uh, there, there's no debate. We need each other. Uh, we do our best work when we work together, when we work in a group, when we work as a community, when we work as a family. Hey, well, let's take a quick break and come back, and I want you to set the table for today's episode. If you don't All right, mind. let's do it. Sitting with your friends as y'all reminisce about the days growing up and the first person you kiss. And as I think back, makes me wonder how the All right. Well, look, what I have in the way of table setting for this episode won't take too long because what I have is so obviously true. Our history makes clear that Homo sapiens are an essentially social species. Even as hunter-gatherers, we hunted and gathered for one another. Throughout history, throughout the history of our species, it's always seemed clear our chances of survival increase exponentially when we work together. The good life is about much more than surviving, right? The good life is about thriving. And here, too, it is hard to deny that we thrive when we strive to work together. Think about the greatest moments in history, or just in the 20th century. Man-powered flight, the creation of the computer, the moon landing, 
nothing seems to happen without teamwork and collaboration, even while history is focused almost entirely on the individual and leadership. But even beyond history, if we accept, and I tend to, that the most important thing is happiness, well, then we can't deny that history and psychology agree. We do best when we do for each other. Like no other species on the planet, human beings require one another if they are to truly experience the good life. Now, I'll leave it to the psych guy to lay out the exact reasons why, but the history slash poli-sci guy can certainly attest to what I deem indisputable fact. We need each other. So grab a parent, child, sibling, or spouse, crack a beer with a friend or a perfect stranger, sit back, stretch out, and get ready as we prepare to put community and the good life on the couch. Well, if I don't say it enough, Nelson, very nice job. The Certain, shorter the better, right? Yes, yeah, certainly our fans think so. I'm I'm beginning to wonder if that's really a studio audience clapping and yelling for you or definitely. you got a laugh track I doubt it. in there. No, it's definitely that's that's legit. Yeah. Yeah. So look, uh psychology I, of We need media, each huh? other. We need each other. I'm telling you, how would you know that you have a nice baritone sexy voice without my high-pitched squeal. I woke up one morning when I was 14. I spoke to my mother, and I scared both of us. Well, yeah, that's certainly possible. My Bobby from King of the Hill. (laughs) I wouldn't. That's right. Uh, Things are relative, right? You've got to have something to compare it to. I wouldn't even know I was tall unless uh, I had people like you around me either, right? But on a serious note, you were asking me earlier about, you know, what does psychology have to say about community? Yeah, so let's talk about this. Like, what is it, you know, because I, I do a lot of the stuff, yeah. you know, with history and everything, but this is such a psychological thing. The history is obvious. Mm-hmm. We do better when we work together, but what is it in human beings that creates this need to be with one another? Well, I think you said it earlier. Look, humans are an incredibly social species. Our entire evolutionary history is littered with um, opportunities for us to either share, form alliances, form coalition, coalitions, excuse me, or defect, go on our own, right? Be greedy. And I think um, history, as well as modern um, experimental science, sort of sort of demonstrates that cooperation is best. We need to understand that balance and respect all the creatures. Not just of the human species, but maybe for all species. From the crawling ant to the leaping antelope. But I can get very specific for you. I started realizing the power of community long before I lived in a community like the one I live in now. Right after grad school, I came upon a study from British Columbia by a Canadian researcher named Elizabeth Dunn that wondered if people who spent money on themselves felt as good as people who spent money on others. So what Dunn did was bring people into the lab, gave them money, and basically allowed them to spend money however they wanted. They would then come back and report what they spent it on and how much satisfaction they got out of it. And what she found was that people seemed to report more satisfaction if they had spent the money on someone else. Remarkably, in every major region of the world, people who gave money to charity were happier than those who did not, even after taking into account their own personal financial situation. It looked like giving to charity made about the same difference for happiness as having twice as much income. And so then also... Saying the ones that were able to enjoy that 
experience with the other person. Uh, they had the most fun. They recollected the most uh, positive. I knew emotion. it. So what you're saying is clear, mm-hmm. scientifically speaking. <laughs> well. Santa Claus is a self-indulgent bastard. Have you seen that new Santa they just hired? Yeah, he's back there drunk. Mm. I knew it. Yeah. I guess he. I knew I it. I guess he would be. I knew it. But seriously, you know, I love getting gifts. Although as a he kid. he could get more satisfaction if he would hang around and play with the kids. Not if he had to put that shit together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I knew, but you know, I've had my best Christmases with my children. Um, you know, when they were believers, um, when they really saw the magic come to life, and yeah. then that magical morning when they come downstairs, sure. and. It wasn't just that day. It was everything that went into it. It was going with my kids shopping to oh, yeah, just the create up. the list, right? Yeah, the and up. just spending all that money, working all those overtimes. Keep the illusion going. That's all oh, fun. My, I mean, it's be, a little exhausting, but... Yeah. Well, I mean, we would probably spend, you know, twelve to $1,500 on gifts. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm not gonna lie. I got a lot more out of every single one of those presents than my but, kids did. But what Don is saying is that you can get even more apparently Ooh. if you spend the money on the experience, on experiences. So why don't you tell the audience what you've been doing, right, post Santa? What you've been doing since your kids were maybe in middle school and beyond? Yeah, we've been traveling. We've been traveling. Everything we do as a family with our discretionary income, is really geared to those experiences that you're talking about. Human interest stories coming soon. Well, Jason, let's circle back and do some real serious human interest stuff right right now. Uh, I wanted to talk about the need for cooperation. You said that we are more likely to survive from an evolutionary perspective when we work together. As opposed to uh, being greedy, selfish, and defecting and taking off ourselves. Okay, but uh, let's look at cooperation in a pre-civilized uh, world yeah, or sure. let's look at it, you know, just in the, in the animal world. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily see that level of cooperation mm. um, being some sort of evolutionary benefit. So can you like delve into that and explain that? I'll just, I'll just yeah, set yeah. it this way. Like, you know, if we talk about animals, um, they seem to do their best work, you know, especially apex predators. I'm not saying that we're apex predators, but, uh, they do their best work alone. He is so. unique. He's in the Guinness Book of Records as the loneliest creature on Earth. He is, quite simply, the only surviving member of his race. The only Pinter Island giant tortoise in existence. So where do where does the benefit come from, from an evolutionary perspective, for me to share the antelope that I just gutted? Well, I think you got to take... Uh, a relatively nuanced approach. Most of what the average person knows about any animal, particularly an apex predator, is what they see on Nat Geo. What they see in a five-second clip on Instagram or whatever. Uh, Those who study animals, and I'm not one of them, but I do rely upon people who have and continue to study animals uh, to learn from. People like E.O. Wilson, you know, the great sociobiologist who I referred to in the last episode about uh, biophilia. He had poor vision when he was um, a college student, and he was really interested in biology. And um, he decided to study ants. It was something. Uh, I'm often asked what it is that I see in ants. How could I maintain a lifetime passion for these little insects? And the answer is very easy. Um, They really represent a world of their own. You know, uh, 
they are possibly in their social behavior as close as we will ever see to what higher social organization might look like on another planet. They're that different, you know. It was something that he could, he could see with just a little bit of help under a magnifying glass. And he found that ants, obviously, were incredibly cooperative. They formed these amazing communities, and everybody had a job to do. Um, you look at bees, wasps, any kind of flying insects, same kind of thing. You keep scaling up fish that live in schools, right, that, um, that form these alliances, coalitions. Uh, you look at bird species that basically fly together, hunt together, live together, go to breeding grounds and nesting areas together, flocks we call them. Like almost every animal you can think of, there is a name for flocks of them. Why would there be names of flocks of them if not for the fact that these animals do depend upon one another and they hang out with one another? Again, it's not, you know always, a, obvious. You know it's not always obvious. You know what a group of zebras is called? No. It's a dazzle. Uh, you know what a group of uh, crows is called? God, no, I'm a terrified murder, of birds. A murder of crows, if you can believe that. Yeah, that's cooperating. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> come on. I mean, uh, your marine mammals like dolphins, <laughs> pods of dolphins. I mean, think of all the examples of animals you can that live in cooperative groups. There's way more of them that you can think of off the top of your head than any that live solitary. If we cooperate think- for a variety of reasons, uh, we cooperate to build reputations, Right, Because even if you're not strong, we said this in a previous episode, even if you're not the strongest physically, you're not the fittest in terms of height or speed, perhaps there are other traits that can help you carve out a living on this earth, help you carve out survival. One of those might just be becoming somebody's friend. Friendship is a product of natural selection. Friendship evolved. It's not a learned behavior or a cultural fabrication. Or at least being trustworthy enough, dependable enough, so that the alpha... And the betas who could kill you, who have a little more power than you, who have access to food and to females, perhaps they will allow you to live. And and to that extent, it encourages the likelihood that, okay, I'm going to get enough calories. I'm not going to be killed. Maybe I'll be able to benefit from the protection of this tribe or this pod or this murder of crows by hanging out with them. So it's not like there's conscious decision-making like there is maybe in humans, right? Right. Like we're not seeking out, if I'm a, if I'm a crow, I'm not seeking out special types of crows with my uh, hobbies and interests. No, like but, you know, I mean, if you look at our, our the history of our species, sure. there was at one point a conscious decision, um, a, a great decision to to come together and to work together. Absolutely. And to settle together. Our history is, you know, about... More and more collaboration, cooperation. Yeah. We go from small city states sure. to larger city states to empires to countries, yeah. and and, I'm, and now to a world. We have a global global community. community, right? Now, what is interesting to think about this his, uh, from a historical and political perspective is whether or not you think that this coming together, forming these bigger and bigger communities, is real enough, authentic enough. If it's if it's genuine enough to actually sustain our need and to uh, get to that benefit, one, right, right, right. I think about you know I think about the increased rate of anxiety, depression, it, suicidal it, ideation, particularly for our young. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're closer than we've ever been in so many respects. And I think if you live in the first world, if you live in the industrialized yeah, world, you would say 
you feel more isolated than at any point yeah, perhaps in yeah. our history. And let's let's drill into that a little bit. How is it possible that we live in the 21st century? I mean, as I look around this office, this studio we've got here in my garage, I see multiple computers. I see multiple phones. I see screens, monitors, all of this technology. Most of it specifically designed to improve communication, to make communication clearer. I mean, I'm talking into a relatively expensive microphone. It's all about getting the message to someone else, right? And yet, I don't know if this feels as good if I'm in here talking by myself. You know, you and I both could have started this podcast without one another. The fact that we asked one another to do it, the fact that I don't hardly ever get on the air unless you're sitting across from me, I think that says something. Yeah, I agree. Well, hey, I'll tell you what, why don't we explore the different communities uh, and the meaning of community and, and family and connection on the other side? Yeah, let's do that. All right. All right, if you're just now joining us, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jason McCoy alongside my co-host Nelson Bowyer. We are the site guy and the political side slash history guy. We are the cast of Put Them on the Couch. This is our fifth episode, I believe. Is that right, Nelson? Yeah, fifth episode. And we're just starting, actually we started last week, a new series on finding happiness or the good life, if you will. Today it's all about community. Community and communication can't have one without the other. No. So what's I wanted to talk a little bit. Um, you know, when we talk about politics, I mean politics is the outgrowth of community. Uh, a community is going to have to divvy up shared resources, and politics is essentially deciding who gets what, when, and how. Sure. Um, not to be confused with politicians. No. Those figureheads that. that try to convince us that we're all in this together, that we are one big happy family, and or, they even have or, the commercials. Or, or, to or that the other side is really dangerous Ooh. and a threat to your own family. Well, that's a question in and itself, And that's kind right? of what I wanted to get into, yeah. right? I mean, as our menu options have enhanced so, you know, Exponentially. So exponentially over the past, let's say, 25 years, where I can go and talk to the people that I want to talk to, the people that reinforce what I already believe. Well, you're the table sort of setter. Menu options. That's an interesting menu uh, options. choice of words. Well, we're Tell the audience what you mean. What are well, some menu items that allegedly have helped uh, bring about community? Well, I mean, we're sort of self-segregating, right? So you've talked a little bit about your community here and how it's you know an outgrowth of your family. We are family. In, in a sense. You yeah, know, yeah. you guys... You go over each other's houses. That's right. You know, in politics, certainly, we've come to lament a time 40, 50 years ago when politicians would know each other. They'd know their, their kids would go to school together. And it's just harder to dislike somebody that you know. Well, they travel by train, right? Yeah. They absolutely. would have parades. From Delaware. They were Shout actually. Shout out to Joe. Yeah. Joe Biden. Bing bong. Yeah, they were actually from the place they were representing. Yep. As opposed to. Uh, retroactively, I guess, filling out paperwork and then going and finding, what, a domicile in that state or in that community and pretending to have lived there? Yeah, looking at you, George Santos. Yeah, I mean, come on. But no, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what I'm saying is, though, we now live in a time where I can live in my Fox News bubble or my MSNBC bubble and I can go on 4chan and find a million different channels that gear 
toward my specific likes and dislikes. And I don't have to talk to the people that I don't want to talk to. Which is interesting, right? Because that sort of division, that sort of us versus them, that sort of polarization, we call it, it's almost as if that wouldn't be possible if we didn't have these menu items, particularly these communication silos uh, on the Internet, right? What is it about this online community that has given us this promise of bringing people together? I mean, think about the mantra of Facebook when it first started. Right. Do you, do you know what Zuckerberg was basically saying about the Facebook? Right. It was, yeah, it was a, a, a friend group. A friend group. A friend it was group. about social sharing. It was about catching up with relatives, sharing baby photos. And some of us, myself and my, okay, not me, I'm up there to, to put divisive political garbage. But for my wife, for instance, she's up there to find, you know, connections with people from, High school, middle school, she's wanting to reach out and talk about families. And I think she's really what's good about social media. She's really trying to make connections. What you're having here, I am sure, just because you are people and we are all fallible and we all make mistakes, that in this neighborhood you have seen each other drunk, you've seen each other argue with each other, you've seen the worst. Seen each other the worst, yeah. I think, you know, when we talk about community, Mm-hmm. And the the reason I think so many people feel isolated, there's so much anxiety in our younger children, is because there's this constant need to show that you belong, that you're doing it right, mm. you're putting yourself out there into the social space, but the and best you version, look, so. you, the best version, right. and it's a version that we can't possibly live up to. Well, we just started with that, right? You right. said, "Hey." Um, I wouldn't know I have this nice baritone voice if it weren't for you to compare it to, right? Right. What I was saying is, well, look, maybe we should just sort of give each other kudos and and work the same way you work on your body, the same way you work on your mind when it comes to reading and going to school. Maybe we need to work on our relationships with others. Maybe we need to exercise our relationships with others. Well, I got a question for you. How many friends, because I know there's an answer Mm -hmm. in psychology, how many friends do we really need how many true friends yeah i don't know if it's about need or if it's about how many we can handle how many capacity what do i mean by a true friend? yeah yeah yeah. so you just mentioned facebook a minute ago yeah Uh, and i actually we're just talking about friends facebook how many facebook friends do you have oh man i'm probably pushing 800 a week i've got over four thousand facebook friends really well i was a public so we've got 30 listeners but we have 4,800 friends. I know. What's where wrong my, with Where us? are my friends? Yeah, really. Where are my fr- but like, that how, many, up- how many of those people, though, like, do I actually know? I don't know. How many do you, of your 800, how many do you actually, like, know? How many of your oh, friends? Oh, yeah. Like, if I was in an airport and I saw one of them, yeah. I'd do more maybe than nod or wave. I could actually go over to them and say, hey, what's up, Bill? Or, hey, what's up, Joe? And yeah, then I could how- expect them to know my name. Right. So how many friends do you And, uh, and how many friends are necessary about- to live the good life? Whoa. Well, I think the first question, how many would I know? Probably about 100 maybe 200 out of those 800 that I actually know well enough to like shake their hand and go, Hey, how's it been? You know, how's that job going that you had uh, the last time I talked to you? Someone I actually know. Yeah. About maybe 150, let's say 150. Uh But how many, like, do you know? No, you know what I'm saying? How many, like how many friends do you say you have? Oh, people that I think allowed to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah. Right. Probably about three to five. Is that, is that what is necessary? Like, Again, I don't think it's necessary. This, like, what do you need for the good life? Um, well, I don't know if it's necessary of what you need for the good life, but evolutionarily speaking, um, the anthropologist Robin Dunbar proposed a theory that's uh, referred to as the number theory of 
close relationships are what he calls managing reputational information. <laughs> and you can sort of anticipate where okay. he's going with that. Yeah. You know, if you look at your social media accounts, ladies and gentlemen, you may have five or you may have 5,000 friends. Um, but if you're honest, you probably only know to any degree about 150 of them, Robin uh, Dunbar says. He says that's because the human brain is only capable of keeping up with so much information. There's a sort of upper limit to our cognitive load, to use a technical term. That means that we can't keep up with more than a little bit of information about maybe 100 to 200 people. Then, to keep up with a lot of information, right, we're talking about like inside secrets, like the ins and outs. I know what my wife is doing right now, even though I'm not in the house with her. Um, that's probably our capacity is only maybe four or five. And that, that makes sense evolutionarily speaking, right? we got this close-knit inner circle that's typically family. And then we've got maybe some concentric circles leading out from that where we know people pretty well. We form sort of looser and looser alliances, looser and looser co coalitions. So what's happening is I think the closest people to me are probably following us on the podcast. And then some people out a little further might be downloading our podcast or maybe even commenting. Then we got some people further out that might be liking or maybe listening to it. And then you got some people really far out that are only loosely connected to us, loosely invested in us, that kind of look at the Facebook post and say, eh, maybe I'll listen, maybe I won't. Or when they do, they listen to a couple of little clips and then just shut it off. So if you want to be part of our inner circle, ladies and gentlemen, what we're saying is you got to follow us, like, you got to share, you got to comment. And if you do, we'll, 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 uh, Make you an official member of the tribe. We'll get you that T-shirt. So, is there a level? Uh, there, there's these circles, these concentric yeah. circles. Is there a level of importance? Like, so what I'm saying is, let's mm -hmm. say my my five, my core yeah, five. Yeah, yeah. All right, they're there, and I have my five. They're really critical good friends, to your evolutionary survival. Yeah, but I don't really have a lot in the 150 box. Oh, or the so you want to know box. how important those it, people it, are in the is, 150 box? Yeah. What What is that going to do? Well, if if First of all, the, the people in the 150 bots probably aren't that important to you unless shit goes down, right? Right. When shit goes down, they're important to you. Right. What I mean by that is, okay, we've got a famine or you lose your position of power. Or the zombie apocalypse. Zombie apocalypse, absolutely. Um, and you, you don't necessarily need them day in and day out, at least not as humans. However, I would argue that anymore we probably do need that 150 and maybe even more when you consider some of the challenges facing humankind right now. I mean, yeah. there's global uncertainty with respect to the climate. Yeah. There's global uncertainty with respect to politics, uh, politics yeah. disease. And we just came through COVID-19, although we're still not out completely. Right. Boy, does that require more than 150 people cooperating. That's true. That's and, a good point. and again, this, a good this point. nexus between, between this need like never before to communicate effectively, to reach out, to form a real global community, to find common ground. Yet simultaneously, we've got these social media forces, these political forces, these, I don't know, these greedy media forces that are driving wedges between us because they are making money hand over fist with clicks and eyeballs it, online. I'll be honest, Jason, though, it's hard as a political science guy to understand and to see the impact of all of this stuff because in some respects i completely agree with what you're saying mm -hmm. that there's this 
Um, there's this new medium out there that is making money hand over fist mm-hmm. by dividing us. Right. I can't tell if this is something that's just amplifying something that's always been there because you look at yeah. our history and our, media, our right? civilized history has been characterized and cataloged by strife and periodic violence yeah. and unrest. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you look at, again, you, you, so, you know, you come out of the revolutionary period mm-hmm. of the Enlightenment in the uh, late 18th and early right. 19th centuries, and you have a 100-year period of relative peace and stability, yeah. you know, uh, highlighted by cooperation right. and treaties, alliances, but then those alliances break, break down. down. We almost What of, were we fighting over then? For most of our history, what have we been fighting over? Resources, maybe some religion? No, mostly resources. Resources. Mostly what resources. are we fighting over now? That is what's so crazy to me. Blue, Democrat, or Republican? America is in a very angry moment. Republicans attack Democrats, and Democrats return fire. Social media is a showcase of our anger. But wear that's, a hat or that's not. the story these of the symbols, 20th century. These freaking symbols. Look, that, That's the story of the 20th century. When I tell people and warfare, my community is like a family to me. When I tell people I know everyone, I trust everyone— I know that if my kids needed help, they could knock on any single one of the 50 houses on my street. People go, yeah, well, you're just lucky. It's like, no, it's not luck. In fact, we move in in, say, July, and then political season is already in full swing. There were Republican signage. There was Democrat signage. There was independent signage, libertarian signage everywhere. My first instinct was to say, oh, no, there are those people. But the better angel of myself said, well... At least you live in a diverse neighborhood. Not everybody thinks alike. So, reluctantly, I start inviting people to my house for a housewarming party. Um, I notice people are coming by my house, knocking on the door, giving me cookies, welcoming me to the neighborhood. I get invited to a um, website um, that I'm still a member of, and people are giving me these warm wishes. And before you know it, I'm going to parties. I'm hanging out with neighbors, and I realize, man... Some of these people politically are as far away from me as anybody on this earth. So I'm thinking it's going to take real effort if I'm going to maintain a connection, if I'm going to help build community. So I had to work. But I know one thing's for sure. It wouldn't happen without us all being willing to work to find commonality. You know, these pool parties, these um, pig pickings, these block parties we're doing, They are an opportunity for all of us to get together, bring our kids, fellowship, if you will, whether we're atheist, Christian, whether we're black, white, poor, Hispanic, MAGA lovers, uh, bleeding heart liberals, we work at it. We work at it. I think that's awesome. I I also think it sort of highlights the bigger problem when we talk about the global community. because, you know, if you hit that 150 number, that's a pretty small globe. And we have yeah. over 7 billion people in the world. Sure. Um, sure do. And there are definite ideas about, um, you know, our limited resources that uh, sort of lead us to tensions, always have, continue to. But as you mentioned, the challenges that we face now are becoming so enormous uh, you mentioned the pandemic. We talk about global climate change. Can't talk, do it without people. We ca- we talk about uh, you know what's happening mm-hmm. in Ukraine and the, this battle, literally to, I mean, in essence, keep the free world. Yeah. Um, and it is it, we're always and I'm a globalist. I'm an unapologetic globalist. Yeah. 
um, because I do believe. So you travel to other parts of the world, even. I do. I yeah. do. I'm a citizen of the world. How about that? I, 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 easy to call yourself a globalist and easy to call, tell yourself that you, you love the world, but do you put your money where your mouth is, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's easy to love when you see it. Wasn't it interesting when you're, when you're traveling, and I've done a little bit myself, not nearly as much as you and your family, but when I'm traveling at least, I notice differences. They stand out. Um, I, I obviously notice the similarities. They're very fun, very exciting to see. But when I do see a difference, I'm not turned off by it. It doesn't like tickle that lizard part of my brain and make me want to run. I'm not sure why, but when I'm somewhere else, say in another country, on another continent, and I see a difference, it doesn't make me want to run. It doesn't make me want to shout. It doesn't make me want to um, act on my prejudice. It, it, it literally in, it, um, makes me intrigued. It well, makes me humble. I wonder to myself, what am I missing? What, have I, what do I not know about this? I wonder why that is and why we can't apply that. Can we, can we take some of those lessons and apply those to smaller communities, to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces? I think we could. I definitely think we could. I also think that the the core groups that we've been talking about the the my core four my family mm-hmm. or that that group of five right um, and I have been lucky enough to travel with some friends yeah when we do that when it doesn't even have to be outside of the United States right. um, we become I feel and this is why we invest so heavily in it we become closer as a family mm. um, because there is a vulnerability associated sure. with leaving your tribe leaving your group and becoming so fully immersed right. even for a very short time in another group. But isn't that isn't that dangerous if you're online and you're forming an online community? I think it's very with people dangerous. People who really aren't your closest five, but the way you're talking with one another, the way you're rallying one, rallying one another up, the kinds of stuff you're spewing to one another. Some people call it an echo chamber, right? Could that be giving us an artificial sense of community first of all well, of family secondly so look i'm a big west ham soccer guy yeah. check out this video from the game as you know our west ham supporters are uh, it's, it's not our finest moment but check this out West Ham supporters engaged in unacceptable behavior during the conference league final as they resorted to throwing objects onto the pitch one of which struck fiorentina captain cristiano biraghi Peaceful behaviour escalated further when some West Ham fans repeatedly threw cups and bottles, causing Biragi to suffer a head injury and bleed. Ooh. Yeah, dude, chucking a beer cup, hitting the guy in the back of the head, he's bleeding Ah. all down. What a community. Yeah, right? I mean, and look, we all know about soccer hooligans. Uh, Just take a look at this riot uh, after uh, the Canucks won the uh, Stanley Cup. Just outside our CBC Vancouver studios, 10 years ago this week... For the second time in 17 years, the Canucks lost in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. And for the second time, downtown was engulfed in a riot. Yikes. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, can, we but, can go on and on with these. Yeah. Well, I mean, so like at, sport, uh, at sporting events, there's that community, there's that group, there's that tribe. Everybody's building each yeah. other up. So you can imagine, and we said, I just said earlier, I don't know if this is something new or if the Internet and these online communities are amplifying something that's already in us. And I tend toward the amplification side of things. I don't think this is new. I think this is a new and dangerous way of finding a pseudo community, building each other up. And and, I mean, mm -hmm. just like this is what happened on January 6th. Well, um, Tristan Harris, a former 
ethicist for Google. Obviously, he doesn't work for Google or any other company now. He's he's created his own nonprofit organization, and he tours the world talking about um, the dangers of social media, specifically as the algorithms are written currently. Leading voices in academia and tech are saying that rather than simply reflecting the polarization in society, platforms like Facebook and Twitter are helping to create it. He argues that we need to push for more goodness. He says that the way the algorithms currently work is that they are based upon eyeballs. And what gets eyeballs, what gets clicks, is outrage. That's right. If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. Um, And he said, look, it's always been that way, but today we have attention engineers who go to school, um, most of them in the persuasion lab at Stanford. Shout out to Stanford University for turning out so many ethical human beings. Not really. But you Didn't they do the, the prison power. experiment? Yeah. The, yeah. Okay. Zimbardo did a prison experiment oh, at Stanford as well. Yeah. Stanford's got a long legacy of, of some questionable ethical <laughs> sort of programs. But what we do, a billion people's minds are jacked into an environment that a handful of technology companies make. Yeah, they, these attention engineers go to work for these huge multinational companies, many of media companies, and they basically um, find ways to tweak these algorithms so that they maximize human interest human eyeballs, human clicks. Well, and, and because this race for attention means I have to go lower on the brainstem. So it, I would do better in the attention economy if I offer you a short, simple story soundbite that confirms your beliefs about the world than if I show you a complex, nuanced, oh man, the world is really complicated. We don't have time for that. And the more it invisibly becomes this slippery slope down to what we're in right now. So we're not actually promoting the greater good. We're just com- promoting... Um, Clicks and eyeballs. You, you know what um, the head of Netflix, Reed Hastings, said? Uh, he said that um, the biggest threat to Netflix isn't Amazon Prime, it isn't Redbox, it isn't Blockbuster, it isn't Redbox, <laughs> it isn't Apple, right? He's outlasted several of those. He said it was sleep, the human need for sleep. What was he telling you? He was telling you that he was competing against nature needing you to close your eyes. That's what it is, baby. It's all about eyeballs. And every part of your handheld device, right, the cell phone, that now something like 95% of Americans have in their pocket over the age of 12, that thing is taking more and more of your time. And so if people, institutions, companies, advertisers are trying to get your eyeballs, they're going to put outrageous stuff on there. Have we ever wired up the most powerful artificial intelligence in the world pointed at your brainstem to show you the most enraging content on a daily basis and the longer you scroll, the more you get? Can you imagine what would happen if the algorithms were tweaked towards getting the greater good out of people? Yeah, it would be... Uh, <laughs> but again, it's, it's hard to know. Are, are these companies responsible for the degradation of, of society, if you want to call it that, or yeah, is it just I think who's so. leading who? I think they are. And I, here's, I don't here's, know. Here's We're the, the ones reasons. clicking on it, well, brother. Yeah, but that's like saying if I give you a highly addictive drug at age 10, right, and you take it, you sample it, so you, and then immediately you're addicted, do I blame you for having taken it at age 10? Especially if, I tell, the, you, especially uh, if you, I tell you and your parents, it's good for you, it's fine, it's just fun. Let me, let me talk about TikTok for a second to illustrate what I mean. 
TikTok has become like one of the most popular apps around the entire world. You realize that TikTok is one of the more successful social media platforms in the history of mankind. Yeah. Um, there's something like 4 billion, don't quote me on this, but I, I believe it's something like 4 billion hours last year alone Americans watched TikTok. I mean, that's a lot of TikTok I think if you consider. A billion of those. It's, it's a lot of TikTok if you consider they're only like 30 second increments, right? Yeah. By the way, this was like twice, maybe four times as much as the amount of use television got. Do you know what most people are watching on TikTok here in America? I don't. They are watching nonsense. What do you think TikTok shows in China right now to kids under, say, age 15? I know they show different stuff. It's 100% different. I know that. In China, they show success stories. In China, they show uplifting stories. In China, they show TikToks on how to do math. They show TikToks on facts. They show TikToks encouraging people to be good stewards of the community. In America, they show garbage on purpose. But who's the bigger abuser of human rights? Probably China. So are, but I'm they're saying, not showing that for the greater good. They're showing that for the greater obedience. Whatever it may be, they know that that's better for their people if they're competing in a global market than watching people shake their booties and watching people. No, that's true. That's what I'm saying. No, right? that's true. And also, Chinese um, teenagers are not killing themselves at the same rate American teenagers are. We have an epidemic we never talk well, about. Well, we got to put gun violence on the couch. Sure. and But we also have to put social media and isolation on the couch. Why yeah, are so many yeah. 14 to 18-year-olds killing themselves? We live in the richest country on the earth. We have all of these wonderful technologies, these communication devices at our fingertips, and there's still a meteoric rise. And it doesn't seem to, there's, doesn't seem to be any end in sight of people's report of depression and anxiety, particularly for these teens. Second leading cause of death in America right now for teenagers is suicide. I know. There has been a gigantic increase in depression and anxiety for American teenagers, which began right around between 2011 and 2013. The number of teenage girls out of 100,000 in this country who are admitted to a hospital every year because they cut themselves or otherwise harm themselves. I know. Unbelievable. It, it is. It's an epidemic. Yet they have hundreds and thousands of Facebook friends. How well, do you figure? You know, um, well, it's, again, this is why we're talking about the good life and, and this need to connect with each other, this primal yeah. need. But, but meaningfully connect. Meaningfully connect. Yeah. And, you know, so what, let's, let's, let's bring this home. Um, right. Let's bring this home. Um, this idea about connectivity, community, and living the good life. We've touched on uh, social media. We've touched on the five friends. Uh, I think uh, I think we're just about ready for our guests. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna step on out. Um, he can step on in. Uh, I you know I, I know this is gonna be a great segment. So yeah, look yeah, forward to yeah. it. This is a segment we're calling the Love Thy Neighbor slot. Thanks, Nelson. Ladies and gentlemen, coming up next. Our guest, Neighbor Mike. Beautiful you know. day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back live with Mike, the garden guy. Mike, how's it going? It's going fine, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming in today. We've been talking about the good life, Mike, and I couldn't help but notice that you're doing something rather odd. On social media, I've been in the neighborhood myself about eight years, but admittedly, um, I didn't notice until a couple of years ago that you were doing this community outreach kind of 
vegetable stand. Yeah, and, and I guess I didn't really think about it as being community outreach, but I guess that's kind of what it is. Um, we have been lucky enough to kind of get bit by the, uh, my wife and I, with the, yeah. the gardening bug, and as everything, every hobby starts small and uh, develops into something monstrous, in which case uh, the, the tomato plants and, uh, and cucumber plants in our backyard. So we find ourselves having uh, more than we need at times when, uh, when uh, Mother Nature hits and harvest hits. So I uh, thought, well, why not start giving it out to folks in the neighborhood? Yeah. And uh, it's just been a joy to do. Yeah, well, you probably didn't know it was community outreach, but I went behind your back, Mike, and I asked some of your fellow neighbors what they thought about your garden and what they thought about you. And um, would you like me to read some comments? Sure. You? What a wonderful blessing this man sacrifices and shares with us every season. It's not enough for Mike to give it away. He's on social media begging people to come by and take it. When his vegetable stand is put away at the end of the night, somehow mysteriously more vegetables appear on his porch and boxes. That's What's happened. up with that, Mike? Uh, we've had some people that uh, have had extra as well that have brought it by to put out the next time we have it. So and when we put out the call to say if someone else does have extra from their garden yeah. and they want to add to it, then uh, you know, we'll be out tomorrow. And they've reached out to me and we've had people come by and we got to know some folks from the neighborhood that I uh, had never met before and, yeah. and uh, create some good conversations. So it's been, it's been, it has been a nice community yeah. element. No, it is incredible, Mike. Um, and I think especially given the political climate within which we live today, it sure. seems like sure. neighbors are not to be trusted anymore. Certainly neighbors are not supposed uh, to be mingled with necessarily. Right. Neighbors are strangers. They represent a right. danger, don't they? I mean, right. what is it that got you started with this, Mike? I mean, is this something that goes back... To your childhood, do you remember your parents doing this kind of thing? No, no, not okay. at all. There's no, they did no gardening. Um, and again, just started from you know two plants on the side of the house to raise beds. And we, uh, when we first started getting more plants, I guess, and, and having it leftovers, I thought, well, let's go ahead and put it at the end of the driveway and, okay. and just put it on a cardboard box for anyone who might be coming by. And then let to well, let's put it on a little two ladder stand out yeah. there. And even with someone coming by and stealing all the vegetables and the stand itself, <laughs> we still said, you know what? That was more amusing than anything else. Like, people are going to do that. Yeah, that's fine. And it just so happened that we were driving home uh, one evening, and someone from around the corner had put out a drafting table, get taken away. Okay. And I told my wife, pull over. That would be perfect. And uh, ended up just doing a little bit of construction to it, making a, a little... Describe nice that thing. to my listeners. Ladies and gentlemen, this is large sort of stand on a, a swivel almost, like a drafting table, as he said, yep. like an architect yep. might do his or her work on. And he's got this thing built up with slots. It's painted this really deep hunter green, I believe. Sure. And yep. it's something that I'm sure he's proud of. And I'm, I'm sure he knows that it's the sort of apple of the eye on uh, social media. We've got <laughs> about 700 to 800 members in our community on our community website. And I believe all of them know the vegetable guy. They might not know Mike's name. Uh, admittedly, I don't think I'd pronounce it correctly if I tried it right now. Mike Melnot. Melnot. But um, they know that vegetable cart. They know that. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, happy to do it. Yeah, that's good, Mike. And Mike, how long have you been in Wilmington? Uh, probably about twenty-five years. Okay. Yep. And always in the same neighborhood, or uh, uh, for five years in a neighborhood just about a mile away. Okay. Uh, what um, do you feel like you get out of this, Mike? Uh, the sharing of the vegetables. Yeah, I was thinking about this, and I'd, I'd love to say that you know this is just pure altruism. Yeah. Uh, but it's not. Okay. Uh, because I'm getting back as much uh, from just hearing from feedback from folks. Yeah. Whether they posted you know, just a simple thank you, yeah. or whether they they people have dropped off some baked goods, um, uh, people have left notes in the mailbox. So it's invited been, you on to be a guest on the podcast. I'm sorry. 
invited you on for to be a yeah, guest or guest the podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with no ulterior motives nope, to get their hands nope, on vegetables nope. whatsoever jason nope. I, have, I have to admit he, he brought me a nice <laughs> bag of vegetables ladies and gentlemen and i'd be lying if i told the, you i didn't expect them that's just being neighborly as the music I, uh, implies I so that's right no um so it, yeah it's it's been um it's just been a, it it's been a, a little bit bigger thing than i ever thought than just giving away vegetables yeah yeah yeah, you got to find common ground. I feel like everybody likes food. Yep. Everybody likes hard work. Everybody likes yep. kids, animals. You know, if we work a little harder, maybe to find some commonality, some common ground, right. I think we might maybe not end up loving our neighbor, but we can certainly respect and live alongside of them well, in a real community. Y- there's no discussion of uh, the electoral college or, or no. voting when you're talking about mm. nitrogen and, and fertilizer and, oh, uh, no. and watering and, no. and all that. Yeah. So, and you like right. everybody likes a good tomato sandwich Correct. in the summer right well mike i really appreciate having Absolutely. you on today and i hope that you'll come back in the near future it's vegetables now and anything for the future <laughs> we'll nothing planned but uh, but we'll see where it goes i appreciate you mike thank you jason